Greetings, greetings, welcome. Welcome to all of you tuning in here live to this very first event as part of the uh, approach to the grand opening of the School of Mythopoetics. Uh, I am Ian McKenzie, and I'm joined here by my collaborator, co-founder, uh, two-thirds two of the co-founding team. Daniel is uh, with us in the chat. Uh, but John Wollstone, welcome to our conversation. Thank you, Ian. Mm. Uh, I am delighted here to uh, to kick this off, you know, in a in a good way. And um, John and I were just sort of emergently remixing exactly where we're going to go. And uh, mm -hmm. I don't think we know exactly where we're going to go, which is part of the part of the beauty <laughs> of emergence. Uh, and uh, the topic, of course, is on reclaiming initiation, mm -hmm. rites of passage in the modern era. And uh, yeah, there's a lot that we could mm -hmm. cover in this ninety minutes or so. Um, and first, I want to say one uh, again. Welcome to all of you who are tuning in live. Uh, how it'll work is that you'll you can leave your comments. Actually, if you're mm -hmm. tuning in on Facebook or YouTube, uh, leave your comments, and we'll see them on uh, where we are. And we'll find ways either to bring in in a sort of uh, you know emergent way throughout the conversation, or we'll open up a bit more of a, you know Q and A uh, part where we can sort of more directly answer your questions. Uh, but feel free to leave a sort of running commentary as well for what, you know, what stirs you, what stands out, what you're impacted by, because that also helps us understand, you know, what is what is landing in that way. Uh, also, I wanted to name again that this is part of the first of five events that are being offered up uh, in this lead up to the grand opening of the school on June 1st, 2022. Uh, up next or next week is uh, one of Europe's best and, and most incredible storytellers, one of my favorites, Jan Blake, who's joining us. Uh, that's next Wednesday, uh, as well as a number of other events that are coming. So, yeah, I'm excited and delighted and to kick it off here with this first one is a treat. Last thing to mention before we sort of step into a more uh, intentional opening is that uh, while this uh, school, while we're in this sort of pre you know, pre-opening phase, there is special membership rates that we're inviting for you to become a founding member of the school, uh, which offers yeah a, a sort of definitely discounted uh, a rate to join and to be part of this initial wave, this initial surge into the school. So if you're interested in that, check out schoolofmythopoetics.com. We'll paste a link and you can check out all the details of, you know, what's going to go on in the school. This particular talk and all these others are meant to offer a taste uh, of what we do in the school. Um, and if, you know, you're stirred by that and you're, you're drawn, then yeah, maybe the school is for you. Okay. Mm. Without further ado, I'm going to pass it over to John to help open us in a good way. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Ian. I'm just feeling my body. Feel my heart, maybe inviting others, take a moment to fill your body and uh, ground in, you know, to this vessel that we have. Um, and as you do that, um, I really want to acknowledge uh, the land that I'm on. I want to acknowledge that I am a settler on uh, the stolen and unceded um, traditional homelands of the Cowichan and um, Wasanich um, um, First Nations here up in what is now known as Salt Spring Island, British Columbia, BC. And so much of this work of reclamating rites of passage in a modern era is uh, been supported and anchored 
through the wisdom of um, 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 First Nations folks from um, around the world. And I think coming back into a certain repair and reparation of what it is to be on stolen land is at the center of what this work is. And with that, I'd also want to light this candle and just say a prayer, acknowledging my own um, ancestors, you know, the Eastern European, Ashkenazi, Jewish, Germanic, Norse, Celtic, and all of the um, others that are here backing me up, um, supporting this work, and just sending a prayer um, for this greater rite of passage that I feel we are in as a species that all the forces you know of the earthly and uh celestial planes can come in uh support us to do this integration work that is necessary um to hopefully create um a much more beautiful world Mm. Mm. And I also want to say, I want to encourage others that if you want to, I don't know if we can all see the comments, but if for yourself, you want to acknowledge the land that you are on, if that's a practice that you have or something that, you know, has come into a right um, relationship with you, I encourage you to leave it as a, as a comment here. <clears throat> and yeah, with that, Ian, I'm not sure if you want to prompt me a way to a beginner i can dive in yeah yeah thanks for that john and um just to say one for the people that are listening if they're all tuned in on youtube for example they'll see each other's youtube comments and if they're all mm -hmm. tuned in on facebook they'll see the facebook comments so mm -hmm. uh yeah feel free to take the invitation as john's offered there and for myself as well i do wish to acknowledge the comox nation of which the territory that i'm on now uh, up here in the comox valley and grateful to be able to uh, yeah, to, to have this conversation here and um, to recognize that the, yeah, the ongoing uh, wake of colonization is not in the past, it is ongoing now. And uh, a lot of this, you know, cultural work is, is part of it, certainly, uh, to, to try to return to right relationship. Um, mm -hmm. And so may this, uh, yeah, conversation be, be a prayer, be a, uh, somewhat in, in service to that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so in terms of jumping in to this conversation, I feel we should perhaps begin at the beginning, uh, which mm -hmm. is at the title. We say reclaiming initiation. And so mm -hmm. uh, maybe to start with what is initiation in the context that we're uh, attempting to use it here? Um, I think that would help support some of the framework of understanding you know, how we enter into this conversation with some degree of perhaps a shared understanding right first, because it could mean different things to different people. Mm hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Ian. Yeah. I mean, maybe to speak about um, about um, adulthood um, initiation is to also speak about rites of passage, like what I mean by that by that term. And you know, this is something that's been for me a point of study and um, experience for years. And what I want to say, which was also uh, spoken in the title to this talk, that. Rites of passage were at the center of every indigenous and ancestrally connected culture on planet Earth. And in many ways were one of the main cultural 
facets that kept that culture generative and intact and healthy and in service to life. And in the broadest sense, a rite of passage is a cultural um, response to the necessity to help human beings transition psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, and then also culturally from one life stage to another. So if you want to think about it, there's actually a really simple wheel of at, at um, one end, there's birth, which is its first rite of passage into this world. You know, down at the bottom, there is a rite of passage, which, you know, most of us are vaguely, um, you know, somewhat um, aware of because something biologically happens pretty strong at this time, which is the adolescent rite of passage, you know, where puberty sets in and for women, moon time sets in. Going up here, there is the adulthood initiation rite of passage, which is between adolescence and um, adulthood. And this is the one that I'm going to speak about in more focus. And then there's one up top between adulthood and um, elderhood coming back to the start of death, which is, of course, the great mystery rite of passage that we're all headed towards. Hmm. Um, so within that um, initiation, which is a big word, in the way that I understand it and speak to it is really about this adulthood initiation rite of passage, which is so important because not just for most of us personally, but really what I see is us kind of right now in a globalized mass world. This is the rite of passage that we are like as a species stuck at. And you could say for most of us, our development has been pretty much um, arrested in this like adolescent phase which we're going to talk about. And hmm. I know from my see yeah. if you want to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it's helpful too, I think, to to speak to, again, what did we mean by adolescence, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because, um, you know, I'll, I'll give an example that, uh, you know, I have a son now. He's three and a half and, uh, you know, wild character um, that so much of his world is clearly about himself. Right? He is the center of his universe, which is totally appropriate for a child, right? Because I can see as I observe him, uh, you know, how he relates to the world is also part of this deep learning, right? This play, this learning, what are my boundaries? Like, what can I, you know, what can I explore? Uh, what can I feel ownership of or not? Or like all these different things, right? Is totally appropriate for a child. But at a certain point, uh, unless that uh orbit or that orientation towards the world isn't somehow mm. and and intentionally um uh you know met with some kind of you know we'll talk about this in a little bit actually of what the functionality is or what the the kind of architecture is and why but unless it's somehow uh confronted then you get uh, a sort of adolescent orientation to life that is you know runs on until essentially death Right, that there's this sense that the world is there for you, um, and there's a term, right, which has come up now these days, which is the dif distinction between olders and elders, right, and mm -hmm. that we have essentially there's a lot of olders um, who've actually never gone through these kinds of initiatory passages, uh, which you know we see the consequence of that I think on mass, you know, both within you know interpersonal relationships, but also within leadership, mm -hmm. you know, for example, politicians and the rest and the way that they. Uh, essentially behave like children, you know, in, in, in positions at which requires deep maturity, deep sense of responsibility and accountability. So I just wanted to speak a little bit to that, that there is a, 
that there is a, a beauty in a sense and a necessity right to adolescence and that centralized orbit of oneself but what we're talking about here is why would a culture deliberately choose to end it uh you know to end that period of life and into what yeah and i think that's a really important point Ian, is that it must be uh there must be a deliberate cultural um response to actually end it which is where a a rite of passage is i'd say there is healing in it and i think nowadays in a modern era which we're gonna um talk about there needs to be quite a bit more healing than maybe um traditionally there was because we are coming in already so you could say um developmentally incomplete where most of us didn't get healthy childhoods healthy rites of passage from childhood to um adolescence and there's actually a lot of wounding in this greater um initiatory rite of passage that needs to be taken care of and the other point though is that there must be an element of death and there must be a container that creates a certain pressure cooker of challenge to actually create the like initiatory cauldron to where a certain psychological maturation can um occur and to break that down a bit more in the um, adolescent stage is really about healthy ego um, development, which is really about trying on different roles. It's about seeing oneself in um, in um, society and in different in a different roles and really figuring out a sense of self and boundaries. And it's really about a lot of self gratification, which is necessary at that like time. But in a healthy culture there needs to be this initiatory rite of passage where the adolescent self can functionally die. And I think of this often like a caterpillar going into a chrysalis that pretty much functionally dies and dissolves so that a higher dimensional being can um, emerge, which as a adult in the way that we are, that we are um, speaking about it, it is where they no longer just see themselves as a separate self, but they see themselves as a interdependent self where self is also other. And in that sense, they can step into a cosmology where they are truly in service into, into a life. And that is something that your ego can think about. You're, you're a, a very healthy adolescent ego can think they are in service to life um, and that they are serving others. But ultimately, what I see happening is a lot of people being in service in order to actually get their own needs met, in order to be like loved and um, received. And it still is this kind of like adolescent uh, barter. And there actually needs to be a greater rite of passage process that actually can sever that part of us that is separate to come into a greater sense of that like interdependent whole. Um Maybe I can speak, Ian, just quickly about to put this in like a bit of a story context, like how mm. this came to happen in uh, my own life. Yeah, I think that would please. maybe ground it a bit. Yeah. You know, I can say that I was, you know, at the time that I found out about um, initiation and rites of passage, I think I was about 26 and I was living in San Francisco, California. And I essentially felt that as far as like a society, I had made it. I had a great job teaching filmmaking to at-risk um, youth. 
I was living in a art collective. I was doing tons of side um, projects. Like I had this quintessentially kind of perfect life. And yet I felt hollow inside and I felt essentially somewhat dead um, inside because I actually knew there's this unconscious calculator in me that we all have that knew that the world is extremely broken. And there was no sense in me of what I was doing was actually um, addressing that in any kind of way. And that my life, it felt, was really not actually amounting to any greater cause. Um, and that that's actually, when we actually tune in to that place, that is a very existentially lonely place. Um, and this started to really burn in me and the level of like contradiction of that feeling and staying on in that life became quite great. And at that time I heard and I read about and kind of life led me to this idea of like, oh, at this time of life, you'd usually go through some kind of rite of passage where not only would you really face death because that is what happens. It's really the point where a human being faces their own um, mortality and integrates that, which is part of what allows this greater sense of being able to be of service. And it's also through entering this liminal underworld because going into that place of facing death necessarily puts one on a journey into a sort of underworld where one has to come to face with one's wounds and one's shadows, both personally and um, collectively. You know, and the lack of us facing those shadows and wounds on a collective level is why we continue to have this very um, destructive mass cultural world that we have. Um, and part of that, though, and this for me was what was really captivating, is that what I read and heard was that it's in that shadow liminal place, liminal being a place where boundaries seem to um, dissolve and one is betwixt and um, between. Perhaps you could say like what it is to be out walking in the dark in the forest in the middle of the night um, is where uh, reportedly a truer, deeper vision for one's life. Um, you know, something that Bill Plotkin, the eco um, psychologist, has talked about as, you know, the like greater niche you are meant to fill in the ecological web of like life is um revealed you know this this like place that is commonly referred to as soul and i was at at that um at that point it was like wow if there is a vision if there is some greater sense of what my life is meant for that can be uncovered because i think seeking it is not actually the right term there's not uh there's not another moment to like live just carrying on as like is so I left, I created a severance, which is a, you know, one of the stages of a traditional rite of passage and really embarked on a journey into the unknown with this clear intention that I want to become a initiated um, adult, which is actually highly weird that somebody would want that, <laughs> but yet that, but that, that is what was uh, coming through. Um, and what I thought would be like a year long journey became nearly um, a decade of quite amazing uh, coming into contact with both my, with both my with both my wounds personally and um, collectively, but also a contact with the mystery 
and a certain relationship with the uncertainty of like life where continually again and again, I got peeled and stripped layer after layer of having to form a relationship with, you know, some people call a higher power. I call the great mystery, the spiritual um, ecology of like life to where there is really a partnership where no longer life, where like no longer I could find safety through attempting to egoically control and map out my life, which is really where we are at as a mass culture. But I had to actually surrender into a partnership. You know, it's not just complete letting go, but a partnership with mystery that is for me what the hallmark of being a initiated um, adult is. Is that capacity to know that true power comes from something greater through one's oneself. And it's that relationship that for me is the nature of prayer and ceremony and ritual, which is so much of how my life is navigated now and what's led me. And I think you also to be here in the a creation um, um, of the school. Hmm. Thanks, John. Yeah, I want to highlight a couple of pieces there. Uh, you know, one is that there's a certain uh, necessity of having an intentional confrontation, encounter, um, uh, meeting with death, right? And that's, that's mm -hmm. something of some, some of the classic element of, of initiation uh, that I think is, is helpful because I think we could unpack that a little more. Uh, like, why is, more, yeah. so, why is that so um, alchemical in some ways? And uh, the second thing is that it can take time, like, or, and it does take time, like as in that this idea can often be sort of um you know in this personal growth yeah. you know quick fix kind of culture that it's like you know head to the weekend workshop and then like boom you're done you're initiated you come back yes which yeah which is which is you know again can have its place absolutely um and at the same time the danger of that right is that yeah you, it's you don't realize that it's a very much a it's more like an orientation that is constantly uh a discipline i think right yes and 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 marking uh a moment of almost like the ebb of a season shifting right it's rare that a season suddenly is like boom winter comes spring right that there's yes. actually there's a transitionary phase so you're nodding your head a lot so i want to turn it back to you yeah and then no, I i'm going to turn a bit I'm to feeling. the death confrontation but go ahead yeah thank you ian i mean i'm starting to you know it takes a bit in these talks to really find <laughs> the like line i'm i'm um, feeling it now because okay to speaking to everybody um out there the chief problem we have is that in a traditional healthy culture, you wouldn't have to think about this. You know, mm -hmm. elders and mentors would come and rip you from your bed in the middle of the like night and thrust you and a bunch of your like peers um, into a rite of passage that you would you would that, that you would be in and the culture would hold you in. That's not what we have now. And maybe the first step of this rite of passage is facing the grief that no one is coming for you. No elder, no, as far as, I mean, as far as I can tell, none of us are living in a um, intact enough culture outside of maybe a few still um, um, first nations groups on, on this, on this planet where people are going to come and just do that for you. Um, so we're in this really tricky place where essentially we each need to take the responsibility for our own rites of passage and the paradox of this, you cannot hold it yourself. You cannot initiate yourself. So it's like, whoa, what? That literally makes mm. no logical sense. 
Um, and this is really interesting to name why though. Why can't you do it yourself, right? Because my understanding, and by yourself meaning, it's almost like you, yeah, you cannot both hold the container as well as surrender to it at the same time. Uh, because, and the reason that I've been, uh, in the way I've been taught is because your ego will circumvent yes. its very 100%. desire to to want it to happen, right? Because then it just becomes a heroic, hey, look what I can do, right? As opposed to the thing that actually is meant to get underneath the ego and actually have it confront the yes. very alchemical, I mean, you know, wildness. So, okay, over to you again. <laughs> totally. And we could do a whole other talk, which, which we actually are. I want to say the third talk in the series is about the shift from the hero to the trickster. And just that heroic aspect is taking death and making it something more about fame, which is like, it is really like trying to subvert what death actually is. So I wanna say, yeah, your ego doesn't wanna die and it shouldn't. That's not just like what the ego is, it's role. And the ego is actually fine. There's nothing wrong with the ego, but but you can't from a place of ego, psychological uh, maturity, create an ego death for yourself. It's literally impossible. Your ego will always circumvent it. But so there, though there is something of this like courtship, courtship with the unknown and with this process. And I want to say there is no program. And I'm somebody that is currently stepping towards running adulthood initiation programs. And even then, it is beyond the scope of any programmatic thing because it is nonlinear and it always inherits a certain sense of a, a certain kind of uh, relationship and bowing to the mystery of it. Um, and in that sense, I want to say it's really about creating a cultural context around oneself. So you become like generating a cultural context around oneself. You could say like a like ecological web where I often use the like metaphor, the uh, metaphor of like planting a cultural garden that eventually can hold you enough to where you can really let go. So it kind of builds step by step. And I also want to say, this is something I say kind of to my clients um, a lot, and this is going to sound perhaps controversial, but yet I'm going to say it. Modern therapy doesn't work if it does nothing to change the cultural context you are in, because part of the brokenness that we are all dealing with and going to therapy for is due to having been born and raised and developed and hurt in a broken cultural context. And yeah, I'd say that therapy is a pretty key element for most people in their healing journey and in their greater um, initiatory process. It just cannot be the only thing. So in that some like steps that I want to really claim are just like, so what does this mean? How do you um, approach this? One of the first things I do with people that I am work with, and I tell to anybody is you need to begin to court what I call anchors, but you could say you're both a um, amalgamation of mentors and elders, but they essentially are usually people that are older than you that you can tell are a bit culturally farther on the path. And there's this way of courting a, a relationship. And this, to me, it's like, it's so basic and so inherent in um, traditional culture, but it's pretty actually like out there for most of us that were raised in a modern mass culture where we also were forced to go to school if people exactly are, are like age in this like prison of being, yeah, like being competitive and being a prison of peers is where you are courting a, a relationship where you are actually 
creating a uh, some kind of container where you're being like, hey, I see you as a mentor, which means I'm willing to default some sense of power and some sense of holding to you. Not that I'm giving away all of my power to to like you to tell me how to like live live my live my life or that I think that you are like always right. And again, that's a that's a fine line that one develops, but you need to become held by people that can actually hold you that you trust can give you feedback and track you and catch your um story and really hold you so you can in some ways be safe enough to let go more and like more. So that's I say one of the first steps is really slowly over time courting these people that can hold you so already there's a cultural context being built for you to step deeper into this journey um with yeah thanks for that john um you know i would love to hear i think now to, to even backtrack to your story of finding essentially a cultural context uh as well as a orchestrator through your own mm -hmm. journey like particularly with again i know you've done a four-year cycled uh, uh wilderness yeah. fast journey and i feel yeah it would be appropriate i think to bring that in to show you know how that uh, how that how you came to it right as well and then yeah how did this architecture show up for you yeah thank you you know i want to say that the how my journey came to be when i severed which is essentially meaning that i quit my like stable job and I said I was essentially going traveling and I had some like leads and I wasn't going to stop until this process happened. Um, I'm sure most of you on this call talk um, can relate to moments in your life where you felt synchronicity and you felt guided. And for like me, this was a conscious stepping back towards that I'm willing to be guided by synchronicity, by, by life. And at some level, what unfolded the entire time was there were certain measures of synchronicity. And then as I started to grow and heal and integrate, just became my own um, intuitive guidance that led me more and more. Um, and it was about finding a series of containers that um, essentially could hold me. So certainly one of the biggest um, containers became I got led to a traditional Lakota, but it's a little bit more complex than even that because the man running it was actually indigenous um, Peruvian, but I was led to a, a, a spiritual community of people that were participating in traditional Lakota ceremony in a very clear, good way, for a very clear lineage from like uh, Lakota medicine people and um, elders and all being blessed through the way where I got pull towards doing a cycle of what in that culture in the um, Lakota culture part of their adulthood um, initiation rite of passage is people doing four years in a row of uh vision questing you know which we often call vision fasting or wilderness um vigils um which for me in my case in that culture is four days four nights no food no water being completely alone in the wilderness with just two blankets. And I want to say that this became definitely a big like bedrock of or a big overarching like spine to my own adulthood um initiatory rite of passage and it was not at all um enough. That was just some like bones. And a lot had to be woven into that especially through my own ancestries. 
and reclamating with my own ancestry. So I want to say it like this was huge and I can talk a bit more about what that like was, but also to speak to, I think for everybody seeking to reclamate rites of passage, the only way you can really do that and make it your own and not be just um, appropriating or borrowing is to have it be somewhat reclamated with you grappling with the loss and then reconnection to your own ancestral lineages because there is wisdom of this in each of your ancestral cultures. I don't care how white you are, which is commonly, you know, the people that are most um, disconnected, people that look like me and Ian, um, but not always. I don't want to make that claim like overall, but that there is ancestral wisdom still in your bones and that takes its own courtship and its own grief. Um, yeah, I also feel the pull towards mm -hmm. grief as one of the like, streams, but I'm curious, you know, Ian, you have a sense of where I should take it. Yeah, I mean, I want to maybe you could speak to about the specific architecture of a four year cycle. Yeah. Uh, and and, you know, what is it in that particular cooking pot? Right. That is so mm -hmm. confronting and so alchemical. I mean, I have my own thread of yeah. experience, which, you know, I could share a little bit after perhaps. But I thought for you as well, having gone through it uh, before me, that there was a certain um, yeah, a certain kind of undercurrent of deep wisdom with why it's structured in the way it is, right? As in, yeah. because in a way like that is a bare bones sort of the fast, right? Like no food, no water for a particular period outside. There's something that shows up. That's a pattern that shows up again and again, it seems in yeah. so many cultures. And so why was that, you know, the yeah. pattern that continued to show up? Yeah, I can speak to that. And I want to say again, I found evidence of this in all of my ancestral cultures and the work I'm currently leading because I am leading vision fast work is more and more anchored in in that I'm not like I'm not I'm not in a um, Lakota um, ceremony or anything like that, which has been a big work for like me. So that's why I want to keep naming that because I actually I actually don't see that happening from a lot of people who are actually leading this the, the, this kind of work. But this pattern, what it what like is it and why is it so um, important? Well, I really want to speak to, you know, I know a lot of people come to this journey of like cultural transformation through like medicine, like ayahuasca and um, other things, which is beautiful. And I have, I have a deep path with like psychedelic plant medicines and it's something I'm currently um, exploring in a therapeutic context much more. And I want to say that's uh there's a potentially dangerous pitfall i see of it still being in this adolescent way of like i'm going to grab at something and take something and consume something in order to be different and that is the like that is the adolescent imprint of like more take more consume more that is fucking up our our like planet and our like world at this time and the incredible thing about this pattern throughout cultures of vision fasting is that it's really going and making yourself an offering and part of that offering is your willingness to sacrifice food and in my case water it's not always the case people don't take in water although i would say it's quite a powerful it, for me amplified it tenfold um as you can probably um imagine um and it is going to be alone in the wilderness and part of that i think is that at the deepest existential level 
you know, as modern human beings. And I think actually as um, adolescents in general, which is where your ego starts to sense you as a separate self, you know, at age 12, there is this distance between you and this like deepest inherent belonging with life, you know, in the like natural world. And there is something about being alone for four days and nights hmm. in nature, stuck in one spot where you can't just wander, but you have to essentially confront that aloneness that I think psychologically does something that's it's it's like it's beyond just a trick of the of the mind where you feel how utterly not alone you are and i don't actually know a container that can hold that sort of transformation it's also in many ways a holding a container and, and like i could say in like many ways and this is something i find in traditional cultures again and again that part of trauma healing in a traditional culture in cultures that knew was to create almost a intentional sort of trauma. You know, and I'm, I'm not at all saying this is traumatic in the way we think of it, but it is pretty intense. It is a intense experience. And that actually you need that level of, again, not just random um, intensity, which many of us have had these so-called rough, um, rough um, initiations where very intense stuff happened, but it wasn't culturally held and it wasn't um, intentional. And that is traumatic and not helpful. But to actually bring that energy of that um, of that um, intensity can do something to like help like slough off some of that ego grips that our psyches have. Um, and I can say there is something maybe psychedelic isn't the best word, but I don't know if a better word now. Like if part of that container is to come into a psycho spiritual place of being able to contact the deeper vision, maybe waiting for one's life, you know, what actually a, a Lakota elder who is the lineage holder of the tradition um, I was in said is a spiritual job um, description, you need like the level of being altered that happens when you are alone in the wilderness without food and perhaps water is what that actually offers. And for like me, I can personally trust that much more than I can just sitting in per se ayahuasca circle. And again, I'm not trying to rag on that practice. I think it's actually really necessary, but it's just it's not so it's not so easy. I think it's easier to go and drink ayahuasca personally. And there's something much different about facing that aloneness and facing that sacrifice because you're offering something you're not just taking. Hmm. Yeah, thanks, John. I uh, yeah, I feel to maybe offer my own thread into this moment as well Please. as we are sort of um, you know, we're arriving at what it the experience of being out in this case within this particular context of which I have experienced as well. And maybe to offer, yeah, the thread that drew me in. Uh, and one of it also was also hearing from you, to be honest, that the hearing of your uh, cycle that was ongoing a number of years ago uh, that, you know, certainly drew my curiosity, my sense of, uh, you know, what, why would somebody do this, you know, to themselves, you know, all of these kinds of questions, ego questions and the rest. Uh, and I finally came through, um, I was part of a community where it actually was born of a deep, uh, I'd say, a, a longing, um, 
mm-hmm. a deep a deep uh, lament of a mother, actually, of which, uh, you know, in this particular time, John was actually as well, he was present to that. Uh, but what had happened within this particular community was that there was a lament that this mother's uh, young son, I believe, who was maybe 14 at the time, uh, she recognized in such a, you know, powerful way that she recognized that there it was coming, if not, it was already there, was that she recognized she didn't have what her son needed, her as a mother, like that she could provide so much for him, you know, throughout his mm-hmm. stages, but that he was reaching a time now into adolescence, uh, early adolescence, that she, she recognized her own limitation as a mother, actually, and that there was this plea, actually, is could there something be done? You know, could there something be done? And I've, you know, I, I've been hosting this uh, podcast, of course, the Mythic Masculine podcast the last few years, and it has drawn uh, to me other comments from uh, other uh, mothers, mm-hmm. too, who've said, too, like, what's out there? You know, uh, what can I do for my son? Like, so it is a, a kind of generally a culture-wide uh, poverty and, and need, actually, that comes up a lot uh, for young men, especially because, you know, there's this um, somewhat you know, oft phrase, and I know Michael Mead, I think, has used yes. it, but it's this, if the young men aren't initiated, uh, they'll burn down the village to feel the warmth, which, you know, if you hear that enough, it really, it should chill you, because, uh, you know, it's not so much that there's something wrong with young men, it's that they're not being purposely brought to their own sense of purpose and their own sense of responsibility, accountability, and and deep uh need power. like they're not being given and well and power exactly like they're not being sort of led to the recognition of their power and how to be in deep service to life but the longing is there actually which is again that's the part that should really stir you is that young men i think deeply long to be drawn up into the big story i know i did and so to come back to that moment there's this plea that you know is there anything can be done and that was she was looking to of the men in this case within our community to say hey you know what 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 can you do and uh, it stirred up a long conversation within a number of the men that had said, okay, we're, we're willing to, uh, to wonder about this, right? And ultimately, what happened through a series of events uh, that um, yeah, are part of the mystery is that what was raised was that we, as the older men in this case, uh, couldn't carry, uh, couldn't ask any younger, in this case, any younger man to do anything that we hadn't done ourselves right? That's it there. Is that that wouldn't be, it wouldn't be appropriate or wouldn't be uh, in integrity. It wouldn't be, uh, you know, we couldn't rightly say, okay, you know, hold this thing and you go out when I personally, I had never done it either as well. And so that kicked off the necessary recognition that, you know, it was something that these men, you know, that we, we opted to say yes. And I'll say, absolutely. So much of me said, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to do this at all. Uh, but it followed a similar architecture, just to say that the bones of it were very similar in that it was a four-year cycle, uh, f- four days, three nights, no food, no water, uh, and very much purposely stripped down, purposely not about questing for vision, not about uh, any kind of you know grand, heroic, anything, but it was, are you willing to make yourself an offering, You know, which John, I think you said beautifully there. Uh, yes. And I'll say for my own time out there that one, it was... The hardest thing I've ever done. Every time is the hardest thing I've ever done, which is surprising. You think, well, you mean you're sitting out, you know, and what, how can it be so hard? But it was the hardest, absolutely. And part of that difficulty, of course, was this confrontation, just this ongoing confrontation. You cannot leave, you cannot leave, and it's just you, and it's just you again. Mm. 
and I'll say that, you know, I move through my days with a sense of uh, just urgency and momentum, perhaps like many of you, that, you know, at the same time, I long for just the moment of, of those quiet moments of just landing, of saying, okay, everything's enough. And somehow I can't seem to find it in my days. And then during these times, this four-year cycle, being out there, uh, I'll say all I had was time. And yeah, it was terrifying. Mm. That's the part that I recognize. And it was terrifying because suddenly I had what I you know wanted. And the ego, as I recognize it, the ego just went haywire, right? Because it was like, no, no, I don't want this. I don't want this. And something again about that like closed loop system provided a kind of uh, short circuiting, which again, I don't say I've arrived anywhere. I don't say I'm mature anything. You know, I just say that, but I managed my way through something that, you know, at least makes me qualified to just maybe share some, some of how it was out there and, uh, and how I, I'm tracking again, the changes, right. And how perhaps the usefulness may, it may take a long time to show up again, to say that these things aren't one and done or even four and done. Right. But that there's something mysterious that is set in motion. And that's what I want to speak to. Right. And I mean, there's so much Ian that brings up. I'm just laughing because I'm like, yeah, you know, in some ways I feel like this rite of passage, what it really grants you is the capacity just to be honest and humble mm -hmm. about like, I'm not really anywhere. And, and in some ways that's because this is a, the reclamation of initiation and rites of passage and village is a generational work. And that for me, when I was 20, 27, 28, once I started this journey, I was like, let's build the, like probably many of us, let's build the village. This is the path. And one, after many attempts, you know, many with, with, with Ian, which were all great learnings, which didn't lead though to the village of our dreams. It really clicked in me that rites of passage, reclamating rites of passage are the bedrock backbone pathway to reclamating village because what Ian's saying that's a cultural village making moment when a mother is pleading in grief and tears for something to be done for her son that activates the men that activates the like elders and I've seen that I just did a consultation for a single mother whose husband had actually passed away about something being done for her son and of course it came to a group of men around this family getting together and all of a sudden it's activating them and then it's activating elders and this generational chain, something starts happening, which is building village as a side effect. Cause village was never something any um, indigenous person, I think set out to go build. It was a side effect of how culture was. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, starting where we are at, maybe I'll say this last point and then pass it back is that, it starts with it starts with the grief. This lament that this mother had is the lament we all have at having when you really face it at how culture failed us and it's nobody's fault and our parents failed us and it's not their fault and there's generations of trauma and it's not our fault but here we are still like all the things it's Facing that grief, I'd say, is the first honest step. And they, they they often say that adulthood initiation is crossing the river of like grief. And it's crossing that grief of death, really, that everything you love will die, that you will die. Every, everybody you ever loved is going to leave you. It's touching this grief. And it's even and it's that it's that grief because we don't know how 
even still with all of our work, and I'd say that this school we're building is a damn good attempt to provide some sense of containership for people to have more support and holding and guidance. And still, we don't know. And still, we are humbly praying in our grief cry to the ancestors, help us. And I want to say anybody here, there's one thing I can like task you with or invite you towards, you know, after this would be for me to take a, a bit of ash, which I've been trained in is like a very simple, clear offering to the ancestors, go outside, address your ancestors, even if you never have, and just feel that lack of connection and the not knowing and be like ancestors. I don't know how the path forward is, but there needs to be some kind of path. Please help me and let go of the ash. Like that for me, that is enough. Like that step done authentically will lead to all the rest. And mm -hmm. that's what's beautiful. And here we are then able to share and exchange and the journey goes. Um, <sighs> Thanks, John. If you're tapping it, tapping the well. Um, yeah, I want to I want to loop back to to one key aspect too, which is this um, this confrontation with death again, but also in the context of the wilderness, mm -hmm. right? And um, you know, I've been just really privileged to be uh, around a teacher named Stephen Jenkinson for a number of years now, uh, since 2012. And one of the things he said around you know what is the wild in this case, and he says, well, um, the wild is it's not you. It's, it's a, essentially, it's not, it's not the human because the humans make human beings. The wild doesn't make human beings, but there's something about that confrontation that is part of that alchemy. Right. And I'll say, you know, the, the part is being out there within that particular, you know, cooking pot, uh, being outside is that at least for me, this attunement, you know, this deep attunement to the, to the slowing down to the rhythm of the place, uh, is so um, just stirring because, you know, in my, in my experience as well, starting to recognize just the rhythms that, you know, I walk by all the time, right? In this case, I just, you know, I'm not even attuned. And I think most modern people, again, like they're, they're moving too fast for the wild to even see them, right? Uh, and I'll say that by being attuned in some ways, even just for a moment, right, to this bigger story, alongside this confrontation with, with death not saying that it is as spectacular as it might have been if I was 14, right? That there is something lost, like there's something that cannot yes. be recovered because it didn't, it didn't happen for me, right? When I was 14, when yes. uh, it may have absolutely seemed like, you know, this may be it, right? Whereas for here or for the times, you know, when I'm in my late thirties that it, you know, certainly there's this, wow, this is difficult. And it was still the hardest thing I've ever done, but there's a, some, some sense that, by being introduced to the bigger story, particularly around that time, one recognizes like, oh, I'm not the center of the universe, right? But the flip side of that is, but that doesn't mean you're nobody. Yeah. Right? And like, that's the, that's the kind of reorientation. It's like, I'm not the center, but I'm not nobody, as in I'm part of this bigger story. And it requires me to, um, yeah, to, to attune, to orbit a different kind of listening a different mm -hmm. kind of willingness uh of yes of of discipline right of of yeah what does it mean to be generative 
like these questions now start to emerge differently because I think that is the deep longing that so many carry, right? Is how do I actually become generative when all the culture has taught us is to be consumers and literally refers to us like that, right? And so, so much of that beginningness, I think is one's recognition of, yeah, be, I, would, I would say it like this though, just being able to contact, to make contact with the bigger story is a kind of nourishment that, you know, in the Anthropocene, the quality of the Anthropocene is basically wherever we go, there's more humans, right? And yeah. and there's something deeply lonely about that to humans, right? There's some yeah. some some kind of rising loneliness the more of us there are, as opposed to actually what what we do feel is this deep desire to feel connected to the web of life itself. Um, one hundred percent. You know, and something about I'd say the most cutting edge for like me of this rites of passage work and this adulthood um, initiation work. And this is really only really started to come clear to me in the last six months even. And I've been doing this work for some time. You know, in regards to this wildness, um, let's see how, I, okay, it's, it's not about, like people are often like, I have to reclaim wildness and become like the wildness. And that is, so still broken because it's it's human beings as exactly as saying it's all there always was in cultures the village and a boundary and then the wild but there was a relationship and there was point of contact but it's this sense of boundaries we're often missing which is actually a lot about the adolescent stage of development and something i've realized is that in a modern era what it means to reclaim initiation in a modern era which was the title of this talk as part of the adulthood initiation journey for pretty much all of us, we have to stitch up the developmental gaps in childhood and in adolescence because all of us more or less have certain broken stages in our maybe like baby years. I certainly do. And like middle childhood and adolescent stages, because if not, what happens? And I also see this happen in village building it becomes this weird, like another form of codependent merging. I'm just going to merge with the wild. I'm just going to merge with the village. And it's like, no, there's actually a stage of like, you as a child are dependent. You have to then move into like independence, which is kind of what the adolescent stage is teaching you how to be independent. And that's great. But then our culture stops there. But most people never truly get independent because they are still in so many ways uh, dependent because they didn't go through the full steps and that's what has to be faced and then comes interdependence. So I just want to say that there is a lot of work for most people to do around repairing certain senses of like boundary um, violations, which is where like going to therapy is a part of this greater rite of passage. And that's for me where the highest level can, like why it has to be beyond like you cannot just go do one right one um vision fast which i want to say doing i've done seven now like at least at least i'm a few is like to really have it kind of take and then be beyond that there's actually a container which is even greater than that that i found that people like need that i think is then how why you court elders and mentors to hold of a greater um, initiatory journey. And in that, the most, not the most, but a really key part, which we really get stuck, is that the journey ends 
when you are confirmed and blessed by that cultural context um, mm-hmm. around you. It's not, it's not for me to come back from a vision fast and be like, I am now initiated. Again, I can't do that. I cannot confirm that upon myself. I actually need others that I trust that are older and wiser than like me, which yes, there's a lot of grief here as we live in a poverty of there being a ready amount of those people, but perhaps they get activated by the willingness to ask this of like them. But I need those mentors and elders to in some ways confirm me and say, we see you differently. Now you are no longer the John that you like were. And we now hold you to different expectations. Um, Mm -hmm. And we see you in different ways. And we also see your like gift. And many times, maybe it's not about you founding your like vision, but the culture and the elders, when you come back, like seeing it, which they've already seen it because it's born of your like wounds anyways. And so much of this journey, I want to say, is a deep exploration of how you received the exact wounding you need to activate the gift you are meant to give on this planet which forces you to get out of any like victim consciousness about your wounding, but you can't bypass these like steps again as a hero. So it's quite a complex cultural ask that we are learning to layer here. And it's like, it takes time and it takes increasing levels of that layering for it, I think to fully happen. Mm-hmm. Thanks, John. Uh, also appreciating yeah the comments you know that you're making here on the side uh, at least the side for us and yeah I want to encourage we have a you know some time left and if there are specific questions that are coming to you based on our uh, our offerings then please yeah share in the comments we'll look at a way to, to weave in uh, by the way questions tend to be more helpful if they're just concise because then uh, then it's just helpful for us to know if we can hit the mark uh, as we're waiting for a few more questions to come in. Uh, I did want to make a point around, or make a, you know, again, a re reapproach to this uh, element of well, how does village arise, right? Because I think you made you made a really excellent point, which is that it is like a tangential uh, uh, phenomena, or, or you know, it's something that arises because you're willing to commit to something else. And the the way that something else that I would, you know, put forth is essentially the recognition that there's so many ongoing ceremonies that are happening within the procession of both, you know, the a human life, as well as uh, the seasonal procession, right? Depending on what time of year it is, uh, what the, you know, plants, animals are doing, what they're requiring, you know, we're stepping into Beltane this weekend as well. And that, um, you know, there are many cultures, of course, you know, my own lineage and Irish and English and, and Scottish, that they've had these kinds of, uh, and still do, of course, these res- cultural responses right to the rhythms of the earth and what's going on and uh and how again that draws people up into a kind of transpersonal you know cavalcade really cultural cavalcade right and i think part of the deep poverty is of course in so many modern cultures that are disconnected from these is that again we're left to try to craft all of these things ourselves right like we're we're it's, it's again it's on us to you know, do the thing or to make, to make all of the meaning or to, uh, to, to, mm. you know, find ourselves fully and this and that. And the older intelligence was that this would just be happening because you were committed to these other things. And I think the, uh, you know, from births to, uh, fatherhood, right. That, uh, you know, I participated now in a, in a few fatherhood, uh, rites of passage again, because recognizing that there's a certain threshold that happens for, uh, a man to step truly into fatherhood and yes. the necessity actually to be held right and to be in its own cooking pot again 
right? That these, all of these processions, you know, a walkout ceremony for a young one. Um, of course, wedding seems to be the most possible, you know, recognizable in, at least in most modern cultures. I know in Jewish, you know, there's the bar mitzvah, of course, but, but again, they, they sort of have their kind of echoes, right? Of these deeper um, rituals that also, uh, I, maybe I'll say this though, is that my understanding of what makes a real ritual is that there's a possibility of failure, right? But there's a possibility that actually it won't. And, and, but the reason for that, of course, is because then there's something at stake, right? Rather than just kind of going through the motions of something. Um, because if, unless there's the willingness to kind of partner with the divine, or my, I might say partner with the emergent moment, uh, so that the divine can get in the room. Otherwise, you're kind of, uh, you know, again, you're keeping the mystery out and just trying to, you know, keep it on the rails, which is understandable. So again, these are qualities that, um, are, are sort of required and the, the orientation that is required to, mm. and essentially center the reckoning and the tending of these processional moments and all of these rites of passage, uh, versus, you know, of course in the modern era, so much of it is, uh, you know, earn money, consume, uh, you know, like as in the orbits are completely different and it's a big reason why I think there's so much disconnection, so much loneliness and so much right desire to actually be part of something bigger. Yeah, um, exactly, Ian. Yeah, I really um, appreciate naming those pieces because it is. I feel like village and rites of passage are so intertwined and the longing for one necessitates the other. Um, also linking this to some of the questions I see coming up, um, I want to speak to about ritual um, intelligence. I want to speak about um, the for me what i see is the integration of the masculine and feminine and i think i can speak well to like that and just how gender enters this conversation you know in traditional cultures often these rites of passage not in every culture but were gendered um activities and i think what i've understood um is that in many ways like for me in a male body the rite of passage and again, this is, I'm somebody that also um, is cisgendered that identifies as being male, that the initiatory process is a big journey into the underworld, which is often, this is actually a concept from Carl Jung, as the like anima is actually like the, um, is actually like integrating my feminine psych, like psychological um, aspect. And in so many ways, to step into adulthood as a male in a more healthy culture is to come into integration and relationship with my feminine so that I'm no longer sourcing that outside, which is what, you know, toxic masculinity does. It both like suppresses this part and shames it and then seeks it outside. And that capacity for this beauty. And really for me, it's like every human being regardless of i'd say their body or or expression maybe it's better to say yin yang this initiatory moment is that capacity for an integration of this like polarized energies that create that create a true generative creative power of of life and i want to say we're in a cultural moment of really smashing beyond gender but it's something both it's like honoring it and it's also moving beyond it. I think that's a unique cultural moment we are in in 2022 that we are all at the cutting edge of um, of um, exploring. 
Mm-hmm. Per Ian's point in that, as somebody in a, a male body, this idea of the ceremony having the possibility to fail, for me, it was important that I was in a certain ritual context where I actually felt like I could die. Not drinking water for four days, I had to actually face death. I think, again, this is there's no blanket statements that can be made here, but I think for people in male, in male bodies, there is a different importance in that because in traditional cultures, women already have that or female body people have that in childbirth. Very real possibility facing death and this the wild pain and giving of self in this certain kind of way that male body folks don't have. Um, I want to say I think it's completely um, essential that people have mentors and elders that are of all genders and hopefully also in this day and age. Um, some people that are uh, non-gendered or um, in on the uh, spectrum of more than just a single um, gender. Um, and that it's really learning this diversity, this capacity for diversity. But again, it's a certain capacity that is like, it can name um, distinctions, but it's still um, inclusive. And what I've learned personally in this journey, I've come in a lot of contact also say with my own queerness and my own sense of femininity, which has allowed actually a certain anchoring for very traditional masculine parts of me to also become more healthily um, developed is my understanding now of my masculinity is that it can include almost everything. <laughs> and there's then a way where these things start to like blend. Um, so it's, it's quite uh paradoxical and you could say actually for me maybe the baseline hallmark of the psychological maturation of a initiated adult is that capacity to hold paradox without it just shattering you it's that capacity to live in a world of paradox where we are a finite we well, we are a infinite being in a finite body that's also the core of what mystery and like mystery school is which is part of a framing we're working with um in the school mm. thanks john i feel uh yeah thomas had left a quote there maybe you could speak a little about the possible differences between adolescent rites of passage for men versus women uh, i mean you touched on it a little bit there I yeah mean, i mean i can what i mean what what i can say is that there's so much here to unpack so i want to say this is not linear this process is non is non-linear and it's incomplete and we are all building the full um, picture. I want to say in traditional cultures, what I understood is that the rite of passage that happened, the adolescent rite of passage from childhood to adolescence, you know, around age 12 and 13 were considered pretty, uh, ubiquitously as blood rites. And for female bodied folks that happens with the onset of moon time. And there's like a certain cultural um, response, um, around that. And for men, for male-bodied folks in these more traditional ancestral cultures, it was often a um, rite of passage into the empathetic possibility to take life as a hunter and a warrior. Again, to like spill, to like spill blood. But these cultures, they definitely warred and they definitely hunted, but they did it in a way where people could do it with an open heart, 
which again, death is part of life. And we live in a very death phobic culture. This might trigger some people, but most indigenous peoples also warred. And that to me is not a sign they were necessarily like immature or, you know, it's, that's a bigger question. I do hold a vision for a peace culture beyond war. And the older I get and the more I get in touch with boundaries, I'm not saying war is necessary, but boundaries and death are necessary, certainly in like life. And that capacity to know how to set those boundaries and certainly take life in order to eat in a way where you are not psychologically or emotionally shutting down is exactly what that adolescent rite of passage was, um, especially for male body, which again, the idea being that female body folks already have that empathetic capacity because of that difference um, of like what it is to be in these different um, mm. biologies. And again, I want to say we're in a big cultural moment of there being a lot of new possibility and exploration around the bigger gender question. Mm. Yeah. Thanks for that, John. And some other comments coming in too around uh, women have greater equivalence in many Aboriginal cultures or explicit matriarchs. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll just say too, John and I are both also, um, sort of steeped uh, in our encounter with the community in Portugal uh, by the name of Tamara, which uh, some of you may know, uh, which, you know, I've come to see as a, again, a sort of uh, almost like a Neolithic, you know, reemergence of uh, a kind of older uh, European ancestral uh, village-ness. And certainly within that particular culture, absolutely. The, the women and the matriarchs yeah. hold highly esteemed role and uh you know there's a matriarchal council and there's this deep sense of that they're holding uh you know so much of the wisdom of the land uh and of course this question around uh, female elders as well sabine lichtenfels who's a co-founder of the community as well for me absolutely is one of the most uh you know incarnate uh, uh matriarchal elders uh, medicine woman that i've ever met which um is is you know profound and uh, I'll say that whole story as well, to the best of our ability, John and I are actually releasing a film come later this year, finally, under after a seven-year saga with the community, but the film will mm -hmm. be called, uh, well, film title might change, but it's currently The Sacred Matrix. So just to plant that seed as well, that there's some mm -hmm. uh, sense for us too, that like, oh, that is possible to to regenerate a lot of this social field, right? A lot of it, this uh, within the, the the modern context, John. And I want to say that the way I really see this right now, and I'm seeing also in this chat talking about the empty like rituals that accompany generational trauma and just like tradition in general. And I want to say the most mature and accurate way I've seen this is again, I coming from one side of my um, family being Jewish and I've seen some people, especially down around a community in California around a nonprofit called um, Wilderness Torah. And somebody asked us earlier, like, what about doing this in our existing culture? I think, yes, there, there has to be a bridge. This is not about burning the culture we have down and building a brand new one from like scratch. That's actually still a very adolescent thing. And we are trapped by tradition in many levels that is outdated, patriarchal, whatever, all the words, colonized. But there's something at this time of a emergence. And I think that Tamara is doing this quite well. It's something very old that is also very new. And that's where I think having connection to our own ancestries 
but letting it be updated. And I'd say at this moment, having relationship with um, indigenous folks who can like provide some actual living tap roots in into the earth, I think is also all all like needs to be very rooted in into the earth. But it's there's really this dance of again, for me, it's also it's also the same like reclamation with our own birth family. Like, I don't think there's any village that will ever really work if the people forming that village of their chosen family have completely broken um, relationships with your like birth family. And I know there's a lot of need with people for boundaries and maybe even severance with their birth families. And I, I, I want to say that it's often in that reclamation where the greatest healing happens. And there may, you have to accept, they may never not, we're going to be part of your whatever neo ancestral village, but maybe they could be. And I think it's actually trying to create a space that is more accessible and grounded in like a capacity for the cultural milieu that we are, that we are like also in is part of what keeps uh, this whole process more grounded mm. This is not us on some far off island trying to do something. It's like we need to be connected to the world that we have. And there's a lot of tools. There's a lot of technologies. For me, it's about integrating the old and the new. So like that's just a principle I wanted to bring in. Hmm. I think this could be a good time too to loop back. Uh, Gloria had a good question here too, which um, here I can bring it up. So might it be possible for initiation to occur within the context of our existing culture without going into the wilderness of the natural world? Uh, yeah, thanks, Gloria. I mean, my take on that is, you know, part. I think there's something about the one, like a cultural understanding of what initiation is, its function and why it's necessary, um, which is helpful, I think, because there's like, imagine you went to, I don't know, your coworkers, right? And you're like, hey, you know what? I'm going through a pretty deep stage of my initiation right now. And uh, I'm going to need a little more time off work. Or like, as in, it's so absent, it feels from so much of the sort of acceptable conversation that uh, that there's a, yeah, there's, there's I know, fear or, or ridicule or whatever it is, right? So you kind of have to like really separate them, it seems, within, depending on your yeah, your your job or your family or whatever it is. But if there was a, a wider understanding of this as like a really helpful and necessary component of one's maturation process, I mean, I think in some ways the the gap year, right, from uh, sort of high school yeah. into uh, college is you know a little bit understood that way of like, oh yeah, of course they can go you know, go for a walkabout and then come back and then you know get your job and get down to business. But um, so during that time, there's a sense of okay, sure they can have some exploration time. Um, but I think that the beyond that, you know, recognizing that the the need for this and the kind of, yeah, the cultural recognition of it is really helpful. Now, too, that means that it, I think it is possible then through the yeah. uh, embedment of one's journey and uh, like in that process of reflection, also courting, you know, the elders and the mentors and things like that. The one doesn't necessarily have to, again, go out to the wilderness, you know, for, for extended periods of time uh, necessarily because this journey of of soul initiation can take many forms and, and often takes many years uh and it kind of has periods of intensity and then periods of just you know just uh sort of ebbs and wondering if anything's happening at all so i don't know if that helps a little bit glory in the sense of yeah it's not to fetishize let's say uh, a particular yeah need for it to look a certain way although again that 
alchemical pattern or that container of being outside in the wild does have uh, a certain uh, ongoing recognition of of um, usefulness, certainly within this process. Yeah, and I want to say that, I mean, that's an excellent question. And again, it speaks to the paradoxical nature of this, because in some ways, it's, I think, like, the, uh, I'm trying to how to say this in like a humble way, um, which is always a funny way to start a thing. Um, um, the idea of like us existing outside of the mass culture we are like in is it's not actually possible. Like we are still existing within like people that think they're outside of capitalism or outside of patriarchy, these things. It's like we're still in it and we're also creating new um containers so it's that capacity to kind of just recognize the it's kind of the same way of like whether you recognize your ancestors or like not you're not outside the stream of ancestors and it's like up to you then can you actually acknowledge and build a relationship and acknowledge yeah you probably got to change some patterns in your like ancestry and form some new imprints you know and some new like pathways in the world and i want to say for me what it brings up is that there is this thing I understand of becoming a cultural generator, even if you're within an existing healthy culture where at some point you have to come to the place of like, if you've like done the work for like years and you come to the point of like, this is impossible. I must just like, I must proceed anyways, being of service, even if my own initiation will be forever um, incomplete. And this is actually, I love something that Sophie um, Strand says who's somebody that Ian's interviewed, I've interviewed, she's a friend, where her whole, one of her, I guess, uh, I guess, um, schemas is make me good soil. And I think that is such a, like, element of what this initiative process is. It's like, all right, I might not bloom into the most epic wildflower because I'm too broken, the culture's too broken, whatever. And yet I'm still willing then to be soil for others. And that for me is when in like um, initiation truly is taking on a next step is when you are willing to hold space and be a cultural generator for others around you, older, younger, and like proceeding anyways, even though it is so broken. And I want to say it is impossible. We are with taste of an impossible task and the willingness to go on anyways makes a certain kind of possibility there. If that makes sense, what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks, John. I uh, I think we're getting closer to the end now in our 90 minutes, which um, always goes faster than I imagine it will. But um, yeah, if there's any final comments there. That yeah. Come in. Well, just seeing this last um, question from John, maybe Ian, can you um, pull it up? The last uh, mm -hmm. comment question. Yeah. Any comments or challenges add to all this by being what Jenkinson calls displaced people's uh, example? We're not on any kind of ancestral homeland place is a crucial element. What do we do with that? I mean, I want to speak for like me and part of the work I'm doing is there's like, I don't think it's essential, but there is a series of, for lack of better words, like check boxes that I feel like a initiated adult in this time kind of, kind of needs. Um, and I would say, well, one of those is acknowledging you are a displaced people so i'd say there's like a checkbox of doing a lot of work about becoming a ally to um indigenous folks and i'd say this is even people in like even if you're not 
on Turtle um, Island, figuring that out for your own place too recognizing you are a ancestral you you have ancestral roots and finding some of that um connection and actually as Stephen um Jenkinson says start to like proceed and dress and speak as if you come from somewhere and for like me that involved doing quite a few ancestral pilgrimages to I know Ian has also um done this and for me it's like at this point in time, I don't think it has to happen for everybody, but I'd say that's a was a pretty crucial step for like me of this journey of getting to touch those lands that my people came from. And again, you like go there and you also recognize that there was a homeland before that homeland and a homeland before that, you know, all of us going back to Africa, except for maybe people that have been. And again, I think um, indigenous folks really feel like and claim they come from one place forever. But for people that look like me, that's like there's been kind of a series. So I also went to like Europe with this like, I'm going to go to my homeland. And I got there and I was like, oh, shit, there was like a lot of movement for a long time. So I want to say, though, there's part of like touching that this the truth of that homelessness and not pretending like it's otherwise, I think can allow us to slowly become actually this is something that um, well, I'm forgetting her name. Uh, Robin Wall um, Kimmer, who wrote Braiding Sweetgrass, talks about becoming naturalized. There are certain plants like plantain that are not indigenous to North America, but if they've been here long enough, they become naturalized. So they almost exist as a indigenous native plant would, but they actually have roots. So I think that for me is kind of maybe a better goal. I'm not going to become indigenous or like this being my homeland as if because you kind of need your ancestors to be buried here for some generations to really have that shift happen but you can you can uh strive to become more naturalized and i'd say that nature connection and knowing the ecology of the place that you live is fundament to this journey yeah thanks john well, I think we're about time now to wind up our conversation here. And uh, yeah, I'm feeling grateful myself for our time, uh, for the comments and all of you that have joined us live here for the very first uh, talk of the series of these five offerings here as we head into the opening of the School of Mythopoetics. And um, this was meant to yeah, both be a bit of a, a sense of the kinds of conversations that we have regularly <laughs> within the school. Uh, as well as the themes that come up as in this case, a very core theme actually mm -hmm. of, of initiation of rites of passage, because it tends to occupy in some ways a gateway, of course, to, you know, so many of the other aspects. Yeah. I think I want to say to that is that the school of mythopoetics, which we didn't speak right now to uh, mythopoetics much, but there's a reason we are calling it that, that is meant to be one part of a container for people to be in their own initiatory process. And we are there to create a cultural web in this amazing way that we have with these technologies that we like have. Again, not that you can do your initiation fully there, but we can provide guidance and containership. And part of this like um, emergent feel where we are being a school, but it's going to be a bit, bit less linear than I'd say the traditional um, schooling that many of us grew up in and we want to be co-holding these spaces for um each other 
to be doing these journeys and coming back and being questioned and mentored and challenged, uh, challenged and also caught in our um, experiences and reflected and witnessed. Um, mm -hmm. So I really invite people to check it out, to check out the other events, which are going to be um, amazing. We're having over this next month and just to reach out. I just, for me, just keeping this conversation going is so generative and important. And I just, I'm so grateful for everybody for tuning in here and bringing your questions and your curiosity and your body and your heart and your mind. Mm -hmm. And to say that this recording is available basically now uh, after this completes. So again, uh, if you want willing to share it, you know, with your networks, share it on your social net accounts, you know, to anybody you think would be interested, uh, tag your friends. Mm -hmm. That would be super important. It's helpful to us. Uh, and yeah, one more plug around the events coming up um, just because we're so excited is next week we have the Camel Driver Storytelling with Jan Blake, who's an incredible storyteller from Europe. Uh, we have From Hero to Trickster, Humanity's Initiation. This will be another talk by uh, John, as well as Benjamin Murphy, who's uh, one of the storytellers within the school. Uh, we have The Fall in the Underworld with Dr. Martin Shaw. So uh, definitely don't miss that one. That's the following week. And then finally, Integrating the Shadow, which is essentially uh, offering up an experience of the, the way of counsel which is a particular ritual container uh, to come together. You know, it'll be held over Zoom, but there's a, a particular format that encourages deep listening, deep speaking from the heart. And uh, yeah, a place to, again, begin to integrate these fragmented parts that perhaps don't have, uh, you know, the right containers out there in your world. Um, and last thing is during this whole phase leading up to the June 1st opening is that we do have the ability to register. You can enroll at a special founding member rate, uh, which, you know, again, really helps us in the sense of uh, being able to, for us to really prepare to uh, to invest in the school uh, ourselves, you know, all that we've brought to bring in people that can really, uh, you know, offer the gold. And so again, if this feels like you or calling to you, then please check out schoolandmythopoetics.com and uh, enroll and we'll see you June 1st inside. Yeah, maybe as a way to close here with this candle, I want to invite everybody just to Take a breath, come back into your body. Um, I want to invite you after we get off this call to maybe go outside if you have a moment and just put your feet on the earth just to help ground this beautiful energy, you know, which we're talking and we're on computers and it, to really bring it into integration. And just as a final closing prayer, um, something to give gratitude to all those standing behind us, the ancestors, the ancestors of the lands that we are on, the future ones for who we are doing this work for, um, and for ourselves, for showing up, you know, and for this earth um, that is holding us and that we are really in this process coming into a relationship to listen to and relate with and be. Um, once again, so gratitude for all of that and so much, you know, more that wasn't spoken here. Um, saying thank you and closing this moment of the journey um, for now. Mm. Beautiful. To be continued. <laughs>